Good morning. Hope you're doing good. I've had better moments. I seem to have lost my notes. So um, this could get interesting. Uh, glad you're here. Um, excited about today. And uh, it was great. Ah, <laughs> got him. Uh, excited about today. We had a good time uh, at nine, or I did. I hope others did too. Um, and, and excited about what God's put on my heart for this week and the next few weeks. Um, I do want to invite you again tonight to come out and be a part of the prayer and worship time at six. Um, we've been doing this every week. Uh, it's something where we get together, we, we worship, but we also pray. Uh, some specific things. A lot of times we'll pray scripture um, that's been on our heart, my heart, other people's hearts. Um, And sometimes we'll pray just for specific things that God has put on our hearts. And so uh, we'd love for you to come join us in that a bit six tonight. Uh, If you are able to do that, we'd love to have you. Um, The second thing I want to say is I know last week, by the way, I'm glad those who were here last week came back. I know last week for some of us may have been a a little bit stronger message, harder message maybe than um, what maybe we're accustomed to hearing. Um, I want to clarify something for you. And that, first of all, is um, I never will say anything to harm you. I never, I'm not up here to try to hurt you. I didn't get into ministry um, to uh, be mean and because I didn't care about people. Um, I want you to know I love God, I love his church, and I love you. I love people. And, I, and in that order, I, 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 that's my heart and that's my passion. That's why I do what I do. I believe um, that that's the whole purpose of this. Uh, but I also love you and care about you enough to, to let you know this, that I'm always going to communicate what God communicates to me. Um, I hope that I have been transparent enough with you that you know I realize I don't have it all together. Uh, This message uh, today or a message last week or whenever has never been from a place that I feel like I've got it together and you need to get it together. I can promise you um, if the message is hard that comes from me to you, it was hard for me when I heard it that week because God works on me in the same kind of way. And so I want you to know that. I want you to understand that. And and um, but but also want you to know that we're going to push the ball down the field, man. We're going to challenge each other. Um, we're, going to, we're going to press in after God, and we're going to see what God has for us you know, down the road. And I believe he's got really amazing things that he's going to do. Um, but sometimes it requires God uh, disciplining us. It requires God rebuking, correcting, teaching, training us so that we can walk in his ways. And uh, so I want you to know that. I want you to know... Um, you know, if you've been around long enough, you know I'm not really like a Hallmark kind of guy. Um, I'll get emotional. I'll cry when I talk about the gospel and I talk about what God's done. But I'm not kind of like, I'm just not, I don't know how to say it other than not like warm and fuzzy all the time. You know what I mean? And, and so, but it doesn't mean I don't love you. I want you to know that. Um, and I want you to, to remember that as we study the word and as we walk this out together. So today we're going to be again um, in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, we've been looking at Ephesians quite a bit. God's really had me there, showing me a lot of stuff. I want to look at a portion of the scripture that we have not looked at yet, 
and kind of take that and then go um, in an area that I feel like the Lord's leading us into. Um, and so we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. We've been looking at, over the last few weeks, how God's grace, his spirit of grace, the grace he's poured out on us, does uh, for us, in us, and through us what we cannot do on our own or do for ourselves. And so uh, we spent a few weeks now looking at uh, how God does through us what we cannot do. And going back to March 10th when we had the spiritual gifts thing, um, we saw where we began to become more aware and to begin to identify, okay, God has gifted me in these ways. Hopefully there's an awareness um, coming to all of us that we're all called to be a part of the body, the kingdom ministry um, in various ways that God has gifted us in different ways. Um, a lot of this is, is still being developed. How God is gonna use all of this is gonna be laid out in the future over the next weeks and months and years. But I hope you're becoming more aware of this, that this, as I said last week, is a team sport. It's not something that is just for the individual. It's us together doing what God's called us to do. And so we've been looking at that. Ephesians 4.11 is where I wanna start reading, and, and we're gonna kinda tag on to the end of this, sort of looking at what's next for us. Ephesians 4.11 says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so Paul written this, we've looked at these verses some, where Paul is saying Christ has given some ability to lead so that they can equip others in the body to go and do ministry, that the body can come to a place of fullness in Christ, that we, one, on the inside, the church, the body of Christ, we're experiencing the fullness of Christ, but two, from the outside, people see the fullness of Christ as we operate in the world the way God's called us to operate. He says, then, so, so we become mature. That, that means that we've grown. That means that we've grown up. Then he says this, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So notice that he, he says we'll no longer be infants. What does that indicate? That we've grown up, right? We continue to grow. Um, we begin to grow together, um, growing into the fullness of Christ. And so he's speaking of growth. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So again, we grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined together, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so he's saying when the body functions the way that God designed it to function, we all come together and every part is doing its part and we grow, we're nourishing each other. The body then uh, demonstrates the fullness of Christ. We experience his fullness and the fullness is seen in the world around us. And so Paul goes on after he's instructing us to grow, grow from infancy to maturity, grow um, in love, grow in every respect into the maturity of Christ. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live, that word can also be translated walk, that you must no longer live or walk as the Gentiles do. In this case, he's referring to the Gentiles as in those who don't know the Lord. 
in the futility of their thinking. That's important. How is he saying they're walking? In the futility of their thinking, in the futility of their own understanding. They're walking that way in, according to their own thinking and according to their own understanding. He says they're darkened in their understanding. So he's saying they don't see clearly. They're walking in darkness because they haven't seen the light of Christ. He says, and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance. So again, the way they think, the way they understand. Ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. He says that, however, so listen, when you're reading Scripture and you see words like however, you see but, you see things like that, if, um, he, you pay attention to those because he's beginning to compare, contrast. He's showing us two different things, two different ways of life, or maybe it's two different ways of looking at God at times, different things. He's pointing out differences. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So he's saying, you know a different way. You have been enlightened. You do know the truth. You're not walking in darkness. You have seen the light of Christ. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. So he's saying you put away your old ways to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Again, going back to how we think, how we understand and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I want to stop right there. I want to pray for us, and, and we'll get into this. Lord, I thank you for your word for us, your truth, God. God, I thank you that it is living and active. I pray, Lord, today that we would begin to see you more clearly, to know you better, to know more about you, but to know you, God, as well, that we'd experience the reality of who you are as you are a living God. You are real that we'd experience you in real ways. And I pray, Lord, that we would grow, that we would grow, each one of us would grow, and that we would grow into our place and purpose in the kingdom. Father, I thank you for all you're doing. I thank you for all you've done, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Man, well, you don't have to forgive me. I'm gonna use another athletic analogy. Um, it's just part of my experience, but I was thinking about how to help you see a little bit of what I want to talk about today. And, and I started thinking again about um, growing up playing sports. And for me, baseball was a game that I absolutely loved. Um, if you've been around, you've heard me talk about it. I, I grew up playing it. It was a game that I even liked to practice. There was just something about going, taking ground balls, hitting, you know, throwing, doing all the aspects of the game that I just loved. I loved, I loved doing it. It was something I enjoyed. Um, you know, and, and, and as I practiced, I got better um, and got better at the game. But, but the process of practicing um, was good. I enjoyed that. The game was just kind of like the cherry on the top, right? Uh, it, was the, it was just, man, this is what we've been working for. This is awesome. We play the game. Now, when it comes to football, a little different. I only know a few people that actually enjoyed football practice. Right, the heat and all, just run all of it. Um, a few people that I know that actually enjoyed it. They're strange, but um, they enjoyed the practice. They enjoyed the whole thing. For me, the process of practicing was just to get to the Friday nights, right? And it tells you how awesome for me Friday nights were because 
I would go through the weightlifting and the running and the practices, the heat of August, all of these things um, to get to those Friday nights. All of this work to get to maybe 10, if you're lucky, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 Friday nights in a year that you get to participate in a game. When the lights came on, it was incredible. But the process for me was something that I just sort of labored through. It wasn't something I enjoyed. Baseball, I enjoyed the process, loved the games, right? But, but for us in the church, I want to kind of bring it back to this. For a lot of us, our Christian life is more like the football than it is like baseball for me. So that the process is kind of just me getting through so that one day, hopefully, I get to where I want to be. Does that make sense? It's just the process. It's kind of the dreaded process. I got to do this so hopefully I can get here one day. I want to encourage you that that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how Jesus set it up. That's not how, why Jesus came to earth. It's so we could go through the dreaded process so that one day we get to heaven. The goal is, and, and what Jesus came to do, is give life and give it abundantly. So that even right now, as we go through the process of life, our walk with God is giving us life. Our walk with God is infusing us with life. Our walk with God is defining our life, that we are enjoying it, that we realize we don't have to wait until we breathe our last breath to enjoy fellowship with God, that right now you and I can have this fellowship, that it doesn't have to be a process just to go through the process but that we can grow in our knowing of God. We can grow in our experience in God. We can grow in how we walk in God. All of this can grow. For the Christian, the joy is in the journey. The joy is not just in if I can make it through the hell of life, I get to go be with him. There's more to it than that. And when we look at this, I want to spend the next few weeks looking at how do we grow in that? How do we grow in this knowing God? How do we grow in experiencing God? How do we grow in walking out the things of God in our life, living like Christ? I was in a meeting with some folks on Friday, and a friend of mine made a statement. And I want to use this statement now. I want us to look at this. Think about this over the next three or four weeks. The statement he made was, the objective isn't getting people through the process. The objective is growth. The objective is not getting people through the process. The objective is growth. But how much have we had that wrong in the church? Because typically the goal is, how do we keep them in the process? So what do we measure church success by? How many people are in the process on Sunday morning, right? Is attendance up? Is it down? How many people do we have in the process? How many people are in the process of being in a connect group? How many people are in the process of serving? How many people are going through the process? Part of the reason that that becomes our measurement is because it's tangible. We can look at that and see it. But, but, but we need to realize that the process and just fulfilling the process and hurting a bunch of people through the process is not the point. We want people to be growing in their relationship with God 
God, growing in their knowing him, experiencing him, and then fulfilling his purposes, walking it out in life. We don't want it to be a thing where it's just a bunch of people going through the process. Like herding cattle. Let's just go this way. Okay, I don't know why I'm going this way, but I'm going to go this way. I don't want to go this way, but I'm going to go this way. But they were really growing. They were growing in the knowledge of Christ, our experience of Christ. Even following up from the 10th, listen, people have asked me, a couple of folks, you know, what's, what's the follow-up to that? What are we going to do next? Well, listen, on the 10th and through the, the weeks leading up to that, we began to uh, become aware that God's gifted us, called us to be a part of the body. We became, even began to identify some of the ways we've been gifted. Now it's time, you know, you begin to engage. Hopefully, as we talked about that night, you begin to engage in some of that, taking some steps of faith to exercise those gifts. But the biggest thing we need to do from here is grow. We grow in Christ. We grow in that gifting. We grow into the purpose that God's called us to. And so we need to be growing. I don't think it's about necessarily having another meeting or setting up a program for you. It's growth in Christ. Let that grow in you. So that's what we're going to be talking about is how do we grow? I want you to hear me. Some of you, a lot of what I say uh, or a lot of what we talk about the next few weeks are probably going to be pretty, pretty elementary to some, okay? It's going to be pretty elementary to some. If so, then I would encourage you with this. Don't become puffed up that, hey, I've already got this. But pray for your brothers and sisters that we'd all begin to grow in this. In love for them, let's be patient. Let's encourage. Let's walk beside. Let's grab hold of somebody and say, hey, I can help you with what he's talking about. Don't, don't wait on me or someone else to say, hey, would you meet with this person? Look across the room and go, oh, they're so-and-so. They haven't been coming here long. I didn't even know they went to church. I bet I could sit down with them and help them take another step. So let's, let's love in a way that is saying, look, I want to bring you along with me. And so we're going to be doing some of that the next few weeks. So we're talking about growth. What kind of growth are we talking about? First of all, we're talking about ultimately kingdom growth, that God's kingdom grows in, in, in his ways. His, his kingdom um, comes to earth. His kingdom comes to earth as it is in heaven, that, that God begins to move in a way that his plan is being fulfilled, that the earth is filled with his glory of people who are worshiping him, reconciled to him. Ultimately, it's kingdom growth. If this is going to happen, though, for us as a body, for us individually, but as a body as well, We've got to grow in our knowing of God. We've got to grow in our knowing about God, and then we grow in our knowing of God. We grow in our knowing of God. The second thing that happens is we begin to experience God in a real way, um, in, a, in a, a way that we should because he is real and he is alive. God is real. He's alive. I should experience him. And then as we experience him, we begin to walk in a different way. God begins to work in us. We're going to look at how a little bit. The first way I want to talk to you about growing, the first way that I believe is absolutely essential to our walk is how we spend time in the Bible. How do we, how do we read God's Word? I would guarantee you, if I asked you, have you ever been frustrated reading the Bible or felt you couldn't understand it, most every hand in the room would go up. The only reason probably a hand would not go up 
is if you've never opened it. Because anyone who's opened it has come across something that they didn't understand. But the first thing I want us to do is look at this. The goal of reading Scripture is much like the, the, the goal in growth. We want to know God. We want to begin to understand who God is more. How many of you remember, anybody remember, please, Lord, help somebody remember, the four questions that I told you when you're reading Scripture. This is going to be interactive today, so it's not a rhetorical question. Don't just nod, like, raise your hand, answer it. But how many of you remember four questions that I gave you when you're reading Scripture to be looking for that really leads us to the fifth, which is kind of a conclusion from those? What, what, what were they? Anybody? This is kind of putting you against 9 o'clock because 9 o'clock got all four of them. So don't, you know, you want to be the best service ever, right? So, so who knows? First question, what was it? Anybody know? Who is God? Yes, heard it from two different people. That's a win for me. Who is God? We read scripture. What was the second question? Who am I? Yeah, I think that might have been some different people. That's incredible. I think at nine, it may have been the same two people answering all of them. So, so who am I? Specifically, who am I apart from Christ? Who is God? Who am I apart from Christ? What was the third one? What has God done? It's been such an encouraging day for me. I do want to say this. Somebody on this side, you need to speak up because they're killing y'all over here. What has God done? The fourth one. All right, y'all get the lollipop for today, this side. Who have I become, right? Um, so who am I, or who is God? Who am I apart from Christ? What has God done in Christ? And who have I become? And if you remember, when we're looking at Scripture, this helps us to know who God is. It helps us to know what God has done. And when we begin to understand who he is more, we gain clarity about who he is. So think about this. I begin to see who God is. Then I begin to see who I am. And we're like, oh man, I'm not like that. But, but so I see who I am apart from Christ. But then I see what God's done in Christ to reconcile me and the world to himself. And then I see who I've become, right? Uh, and, and I realize I went from sinner to saint, and it's not that you went from saint, like we're not gonna put a statue of you out here outside, people to pay homage to like when they come in. That's what I'm talking about. It's the transformation that happens when we go from the, the, the unrighteousness of, of our sinful nature to being in Christ and seen by God as righteous because Jesus took our sin away. And by faith, we've entered into this relationship with him. And see, here's the thing, and this is, this is y'all, this is not to be, um, this is not said in a way to put someone down, right? Because this is an indictment on the church as much as anything. But if we were to poll people and, and ask them their understanding of Scripture, the overall church's understanding of Scripture would be fairly low. Well, there's not a great understanding of Scripture in the church today. And so the thing we've got to see in this, though, think about this. If God's truth, his word, has not defined who God is for us, then what has? It's another question. I'm not, it's not a rhetorical. So what has? Like what's defined who God is for us if it has not been defined by his truth because I don't necessarily have a good understanding of what is the truth? Religion, church, yeah. So it's experience, what was that? Other books, yeah. Our experience, right? 
So it could be our experience in the world. What does the world teach us? If I perform, I'm loved. If I don't, I'm not. So who does God become? Oh, but better to be good. He's checking, he's checking his list. Going to find out who's naughty and nice. So he come, becomes like a cosmic Santa Claus. If I'm good, I get heaven. If I'm bad, woo, burning sulfur, right? And so we begin to base our understanding of God that we've, and we've constructed that understanding from experience, experience in the world, experience in church, experience with people that we're close to in our lives. We begin to define God by the experience, not by the truth of who he is. It's one of the reasons the truth of God is so important. It's one of the reasons that the truth of God sets us free. What does he set us free from with his truth? A misunderstanding of who he is. It's the whole point of Jesus becoming the word, the word being made flesh, as it says in John 1, is God's message to us was clearly displayed in Christ. And so we can see this. So if we're going to know him, we have to be in the word. We've got to be seeing who he is, what he's done, who I was and who I am. And out of that comes worship. Out of that comes a, a compelling to fulfill my purpose in life. I see that. And I begin to walk that out. And so I want to know him. I want to or know about him, understand him. I want to then experience him with a knowing that is experiential. And then that begins to change me. So I begin to walk. When we look at this scripture in Ephesians 4, he's talking about growth. But if, if you notice, if you go back and read it, how many times does he reference the mind or thinking, the futility of their thinking, not to be like them in their thinking, to, to change the way we think? This is not how you learned Christ. All of those different things. Why, why is that so important? He's saying don't let your own understanding determine who God is or how you relate to him. He's saying don't lean on your own understanding. Let the truth of God's word define him for you. Let the truth of God's word tear down the strong or the inaccurate way of thinking that's been established through experience. And see, so here's why this is powerful. These inaccurate ways of thinking that's been established about God, they establish the way we, we think, right? And what does the way we think do? The way we think begins to determine how we make our decisions. And the way we make our decisions determine what? Our actions. It's why Paul in Romans 12, 2 said, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Don't just go along with the flow. Don't just lean into that understanding and what you've been taught. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Because if I begin to think differently, I make decisions differently, and then I begin to live differently. I begin to walk differently. So it's knowing about him. It's knowing him then through experience that lines up with scripture. Then it's walking the way he walks. Because why? My mind has been renewed. I see differently. I think differently. I process things differently. It's coming to an accurate identity of who God is, of who I am, of how I'm to relate to others and my purpose in the world. What's required, though, and I want to talk about some real practical things now. 
What's required? The first thing that's required is a D word, and we don't like it very much. The first thing that's required is discipline. Discipline. We don't like it. Everybody's like, ooh. Because when we think about discipline, we're like, think about diets, exercise, you know, not saying what we want to say, not doing the hand gesture we want to do. Discipline. We think of it in a negative light. But I want you to understand this. There's a difference between legalism and spiritual discipline. Legalism has a different goal and motivation. Legalism is when we get into this thing where I'm going through the process and it's just such a burden. The reason I'm doing it, my motivation for it, and my goal in it is that somehow I can make myself pleasing to God. I can do enough to get what I want or what I need. It's just going through the process and in this burdensome way. A spiritual discipline has a completely different goal and motivation. My motivation is that God's already made a way for me to come to him. God's already pleased with me in Christ by my faith in him. God's made a way that I can enjoy his presence. God's also given me a means of experiencing him through his truth and his word. And my motivation is I want to know him better. It's what Paul said in Philippians 3. As much as Paul knew God, as much as Paul knew Christ, he said, I just want to know him. And we see that my motivation becomes I want to know him. I want to experience him. I see who he is, what, who I am, what he's done, who I've become. I want to know more about him. I want to walk with him. I want to experience the power of the resurrection and even experience his sufferings if that's what it takes because at the end of it all, I just want to know him. I want to ask because he'll give. I want to seek because I know I'll find. I'm going to keep knocking because I know he's going to open the door and come in and fellowship with me and he's going to reveal more to me about himself. Listen, there's always going to be times when you read scripture. You may go through a day or you may go through a season where scripture is like filet mignon, man. You're like, oh, this is good. I love it, man. This is good. Oh, I'm getting the meat now. This is good stuff. And then, you know, one day it's like a light switch went off and it's like, oh man, I got to eat these green beans. Sometimes it's like, woo. And sometimes it's like, but then I realize, and I have to come back to what's my goal and motivation in this. I want to know him. And so I keep pushing. I keep walking. I keep stepping. It's a difference in legalism and spiritual discipline. One disciplines me, I'm disciplining me so that I can try to make myself right. The other one is I'm just pursuing Christ with a shameless audacity. And even when I don't feel like it, I'm gonna keep stepping towards him because at the end of the day, my greatest goal is to know him and make him known. The other thing is, listen, for some, and this is, this is basic, but listen, get a translation of scripture you can understand. Get an accurate one but get one you can understand. And I know some people, and this is not to shame them, I'm not judging anyone, but some people will say it's King James Version only, right? King Jesus Version. And honestly, guys, that's just not true. There are other accurate translations. I was sitting with a girl the other day, and we were talking, and I was like, well, she's like, I just can't understand Scripture. Never really read it, and when I tried to read it, I didn't understand it. I was like, well, what translation are you reading? She said, there's different translations. I said, yeah. She said, I don't know. I said, well, does it have a lot of these and thous and thuses? She said, yeah. 
I said, well, let's get you another one because you can understand it. Now, my dad, when he reads the Bible, he reads the King James Version. He's read it. He gets it. He, he loves it. That's great. But look, read something you can understand. There's some different lines of thoughts. Like this version is the ESV version, big old thick study Bible, right? It's ESV. The, the goal with a, with a translation like ESV was to translate the Hebrew and Greek literally. It was to take it literally. If it said abundant life, then it was going to translate it abundant life. It was going to hit every word literally. So it's taking it straight from Hebrew. Sometimes, though, the problem with that is it can end up a little choppy. You take a book like this one. This is the NLT, the New Living Translation. It's on kind of the other end of the spectrum from the sense that when you look at it, the goal in it was to capture the meaning of what was being said. So rather than saying we're, our goal is to accurately translate each word, the goal is we want to accurately translate the meaning of what the author was saying. And so it's two different ends of the spectrum. Usually I teach out of the NIV. The NIV may be a little towards catching the meaning, but it's sort of in the middle trying to translate it as accurately direct from Greek and, and Hebrew as you can, but also making sure you really make the meaning clear, capture the meaning of what was being said. And so when you look at that, it's important to realize that. Get something you can understand, but it is an accurate translation. There's others out there. Those three are not the only ones, um, but those are just three I wanted to use as an example. Another thing that's important, uh, make sure you understand the context of what's, what's being said. Like, why are they saying it? If you get a study Bible, most any study Bible, you'll look in the, the front and before each book, it'll have um, some information about that book. So look in there. It'll tell you who wrote it, when they wrote it, why they wrote it, uh, the, the occasion of it, the, the reason for it, what the author was trying to communicate, the goal in the communication. It'll tell you all of that stuff. And you'll be amazed at how much more you can understand what God is saying to us when you know why they wrote it and who they wrote it to. And also, don't forget the big context. Every word points to Christ and God's plan of reconciliation. So I'll read it in that, that light through that lens. But also, what is the specific context of this? The last thing I want to do is, is I want to give you three things that can happen when you go and you begin reading Scripture. Three things. The first one is... Uh, and encouragement not to do it. When you go and read scripture, one of the things that can happen very easily is that I get into it, I, I don't understand it, and so I just quit. I stop. So don't stop, all right? Let me help you with this. If I'm a new Christian and somebody says, and, they, and they, you go, well, where should I read the Bible? And somebody goes, I'll tell you what, just start in Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. Just start in Matthew. Well, think about what they're about to read. Matthew 1.1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, and whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, almost lunchtime, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, by the way, it was a prostitute, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. If that's where you start, 
right? He's like, what? Now, listen, I want to tell you, there's some really good stuff in that. Really good stuff. But you kind of got to dig through it to get it. You go back and see who some of these people are and understand the lineage of Christ. It can be fascinating. It can be encouraging. But listen, if I'm reading that for the first time, there's two options that I have. One is I can study it. I can go, well, that's odd. But nothing in Scripture is written on accident or without a purpose. Therefore, I shall study it. And you go and you begin to study, like, why is this in here? It's an option. But if you're just starting out, maybe for you, instead of studying it or stopping, you just shelf it, right? You just put it on a shelf for a second. You might even make a note, hey, I want to go back and understand this, but for right now, I'm going to put it on a shelf because I want to keep reading. I want to keep seeing Jesus' heart, which shows me the heart of God in the gospel. I know it's got its purpose and its intention, but I want to I want to read, I want to come back because right now I feel like what I really need to do is deconstruct my understanding of God that is in error and begin to reconstruct it according to the truth, the way I want to see that is in the truth of Christ and his heart. So I keep reading. Now don't just put everything on the shelf. You get through reading Matthew, you're like, well, I like that one verse. No, I mean, like some things study it. But if, if you're you're following something. You're reading something. Put it on a shelf. Come back to it. But don't stop. This is where I want you to really pay attention to what I'm about to read. There's a reason for it. It says in Matthew 4, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now pay attention. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Now this is where it can get kind of uncomfortable because I'm going to come off the stage told Chase I was doing this this morning. He said, oh my gosh, the dragon has left the nest. <laughs> and so I want to come down here, and this is part where I want to ask you a question, not a rhetorical question. It's a question to get an answer. And, and here's the thing. If you think about who God is, what God's done, or who I am, what God's done, and who I've become, you begin to look for the heart of God in this scripture that I just read, Matthew chapter 4, the big verses 1 through 11, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. It's, not a, it's kind of an obscure scripture, right? But there's stuff we can take away from it. And so I'm asking you, and I want you to speak, like I'm going to come to you and let you speak. What can you take away from that passage? So you don't have to have a PhD in theology to get something out of that. So somebody raise your hand and tell me something you can take from this passage. You ain't scared to call them, but yeah, all right, over here. If you raise your hand in the back, you're going to have to meet me halfway. I might pass out on the way there. I ate a bunch of coconut cake last night. 
the world will bring you temptation, but if you heed to the word of God, he will deliver you. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I mean, if that's your takeaway from this pack, those 11 verses, how awesome is that, right? When the world throws temptation at me, I can stand firm in God's word. If that's the one thing you take away, then that's an awesome takeaway. What else? What else does somebody else get from it? Okay. Oh, never mind. One of the things the devil said was, is written, he'll command his angels regarding you that you won't strike your stone. So even the devil understands, or he doesn't understand it perhaps, but he knows scripture and knows how to use it. So it's important for us to understand and study it as well. Absolutely. That's good. Thank you. Very good. And, and so we see that. Like the devil knows who God is. He, he knows the word of God. But the Bible tells us that he shudders when he thinks about him. So we see that, that God's word, um, it can be twisted. It can be used against us if we don't understand it correctly. So we need to study it, one, so we can stand firm on it in the time of temptation or in the day of trial or in a challenge, but two, so that we can accurately understand it, right? What else? Somebody else? Raise your hands. Oh, we got a little time. Two whole minutes. What else? Yeah. Scripture gives us the clearest definition of how God works with us and through us. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you notice in that scripture, one thing that's cool that goes along with that is that two of the temptations began with if you are the son of God. How many times do we doubt who we are? But God shows us through his word who he is, who we are, and what our purpose is, right? What's something else somebody else took away from that? All right. I know that in the midst of fasting and praying, that after your 40 days and 49, you have to continue to continue to pray and fast. That's good. Yeah. So seeking after God, like, I'll honestly tell you, I don't, that'd be rough, right? But, but Jesus, in the desert, tempted, fasting, weak, yet the word of God was strong for him, right? What else? Who else? Y'all pray for me. <laughs> Trying to get there. Hey, Scott. Can the camera reach back here? All right. Simply, the word says his truth will set you free. And if you don't know his truth, you won't be set free. That's right. And in this, I mean, it set Jesus free from the temptation, right? All right, I'm coming. That's good. That was close. Satan came to Jesus at his weakest moment, just like he does us. But Jesus didn't shoot from the hip. He told Satan what God had to say, the Father had to say. And everything Jesus said in the Bible was an example for us to follow. He said, it is written. And the brother said, well, I go even Satan used the word of God. You speak the name of Jesus, and Satan's got to flee. And Jesus set the perfect example. He said, it is written. In other words, my father said. That's good. You should let him preach. So the whole point of this, guys, is, look, it's not sometimes as hard as we make it, right? 
It's not so hard. It's not, it's not something we can't do. And if you'll get, get the word of God, a translation you understand, you begin to pray and ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see truth in his word. It's not a promise from me. It's a promise from God that he's going to reveal himself to you. You will find, and this is awesome, that you can probably learn things from me and I can learn things from you, but you'll find out you're not as dependent on a preacher as you think you are. God will speak to you. The Holy Spirit will be your teacher. And, and I want to encourage you with that today. If you're reading, and I had a little more time at 9, we ran John, read John chapter 2 where Jesus turns the water into wine. When you're reading something, you come to it and you're like, like, what does that mean? Jesus turned water into wine? I mean, I don't think Jesus just wants people to get drunk, right? I mean, Jesus drank wine, but I don't think his intention was that they just get hammered. So what's he doing? That ought to pique something, a little interest in our mind, in our heart. What's he doing? There's, there's something deeper here. I want to throw that out there to you. Maybe you go study that this week. And see all that's in that passage. It's pretty fascinating. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. Get a study Bible, something that can help you get started. Get a commentary. Look, if you don't know, uh, commentary is just where people who have studied God's word, they begin to expound on it, and, and their study helps us really learn quicker because they've done some of the hard work. We begin to, to learn from what they've learned. If you don't know what to get, then look, email Sydney at the church. The other day I emailed her a, 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 basically a packet that if you started reading today and read for 100 years, I don't think you'd read every book on it, right? It's got anything you would want to know or could use. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't know where to start with something like that, email Sydney. She'll, she'll get that to you. But let's don't stop. Let's, let's spend time. I can tell you for me when God's word, the night, not long after I got saved, that God's word came alive to me, it changed everything. I'd experienced God through uh, salvation, the Holy Spirit. I wanted more of him. One night, I just opened my Bible and began to read in 1 Corinthians. God began to speak to me, um, just showing me, like, not like deep stuff, but just seeing like, wow, that, I've never seen this. I've never, man, I've never even taken the time to read it and ask the Holy Spirit to help me understand it. It changes everything. And I want to encourage you with that. In fact, right now, I want to pray for us that, that we will begin to grow not just in knowing about God, but that's important, but that knowing about him would lead to us knowing him and experiencing him. As we experiencing him, experience him, our mind is transformed and then our life is transformed. Father, I thank you for your word and its truth. God, I pray that we would be stirred with a hunger for you, Lord, and that we would realize we find so much of who you are in the scripture that all points us to Christ. God, that we wouldn't stop because we get frustrated or don't understand. But God, we would continue seeking after you. Father, I pray that it would be done because we're compelled by your love, the love you've shown. God, your grace has done for us, in us, and through us what we cannot do, Lord. I just pray we would be a church that seeks hard and fast after you. 
Father, I love you. I thank you for each person here. I pray, Lord, that they would grow to maturity. You would give us wisdom as leaders how to help them do that. Guide us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.